0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 163. I'm Art Regner. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, or yes, in the midst of a pandemic, what better way to end your hard-working day with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but we do ask that you drink our Canadian premium beer, responsibly. With that said, let's bring in our guest and no stranger to the podcast. I believe this is uh, the second time we've had him on. It is Tony Ferrari, managing editor and head of scouting at dabber Prospects. And uh, let's bring him in. Tony, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, no problem. Happy to do this with the art.
0: Uh, well, let's uh, kind of get right into it. And I've got to uh, be uh, up front with you and with the audience. Usually by this time of year, I am all over the NHL draft and prospects and who's number one and who's number two, but it's been such a crazy year. And every time I, I want to start studying a league or seeing who's, who's the top prospect, uh, their league is shut down or, you know, they're, they're on a pause or it, it's just been so chaotic, so hectic. And with the Red Wings and, and and now the Detroit Tigers for the Word on Woodward show that I do, I, I've kind of have lost track. So I want to begin, Tony, before we get into some of the Red Wing prospects and looking at this upcoming draft. And we're obviously going to have you on again before uh, before the draft in July. Uh, but I'm just kind of wondering what the state of like prospect hockey is with with junior leagues. And I think I might want to begin with uh, uh, going. Um, uh, like maybe country by country in, in Europe first, uh, uh, like looking at Sweden. I know that the Swedish hockey league, uh, uh, obviously had a season. Mo Sider did very, very well. His team is still in the playoffs. Joe Valeno, uh, hopefully is going to be making his NHL debut here this week, uh, with the, uh, with the Red Wings. And we're, uh, recording this on the 26th of April, but, um, how, what, what has been junior hockey? Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about Dauber Hockey and how, uh, I know you do prospects, uh, how that uh, uh, has impacted your job this season with everything being so up in the air.
1: Well, just in general, scouting has been a- weird this year because it's been hard to get into ranks for NHL scouts. So someone like myself who writes for a website and does all my scouting, mostly on video as it is, but I like to try to get to, to any anywhere else I can around here. Like, I, I'm close enough to Plymouth where I can see the NTDP play. I, I see Flint, Windsor, London, Sarnia, like a lot of the OHL teams and everything. And whenever there's international tournaments like the U18s, which are just started today, actually, uh, they was supposed to be in Plymouth. I, I was planning on being there, seeing all the top draft-eligible kids because the U18s is the draft-eligible tournament. And this year, you're not really getting that, that viewing. So it's a lot of super reliance on video. And I mean from what i know i've talked to a few different uh people within teams and organizations and stuff and what they keep saying is yeah there are teams that aren't really embracing the video scouting but the smart teams are and and, i mean credit to the detroit red Wings; they're one of the smart teams and from every indication i've i've gotten from anybody within hockey this year is the red wings are one of the teams that are using all the tools at their, disposable, at their disposal, and I think that's a really important thing to do this year.
0: Well, yeah, that, right, certainly. I, I don't know if maybe I, I shouldn't go like uh, country by country here, but let's look at European hockey in general. Obviously, Sweden, Finland, Germany, uh, the Czech Republic, uh, uh, Switzerland, I don't know if there's any other country that I'm missing, but those seem to be where a lot of prospects come from, or in the case of the Red Wings, they sent players to, uh, uh, to the Czech Republic this year. Uh, and also to Sweden. I don't know if Jared McIsaac was slated to go to Finland and then he got hurt, but um, what is a state like that? I, I, the state of hockey, uh, European hockey this year, as far as scouting and prospects, has it been a lot of stop and go or have they been able to maintain a pretty good schedule?
1: Uh, it, it depends on the league really. For the most part, it's been pretty stop and go in, in every league, whether it's Sweden, Finland, Germany, Czech Republic, like you said. Um, and it's really interesting because within every league, it seems there are teams that have played a different amount of games and, and that, that's throughout every country in Europe. So it's one of these things where like in Sweden, for example, they have their SHL teams, the top league in Sweden. They're, they they played most of their games. There's been some stops and starts, but for the most part, since about January, they've been able to kind of keep playing and in getting games in. And we've seen more Sider and in Lucas Raymond over in Sweden, both having exceptional years. Albert Johansson as well. I'm sure we'll get to those guys in a little bit. But then the the J20 level, which is their junior league, they had to stop after June 18 or Jan, Jan, January 18th. Sorry. And they haven't played anything at the U20 level or U18 level at all in Sweden since then, basically, outside of a couple little uh, U18 showcases where they've gotten the U18 and U19 team together to prepare for the U18 tournament that's going on right now, as I mentioned. So it's been interesting because this has allowed a few prospects that, that necessarily wouldn't be in these upper leagues, whether it's the Liga in Finland or the SHL in Sweden to play up in, in the league. And yes, they're getting minimal minutes. We watched that all, all all year last year with more with Lucas Raymond, who was a top prospect getting seven, eight minutes a night. Now we're seeing a lot of prospects in that situation, whether or not they're top prospects or not. It's been interesting to see how they've adapted to men's league hockey. Um, with that said, a lot of prospects, especially in North America, haven't been seen. But over in Europe, I think we've gotten a pretty good sample size of just about every prospect we've wanted to see because even if... the even if the league has shut down or had some stops and starts, you're seeing anywhere between 25 and 45 games for most of these players. So you're getting at least a decent sample size of the European group, even though it's kind of a little bit stop and starty. And in, I mean, credit to the Detroit Red Wings. They have one of the best European scouting staffs in the league. And I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on that in a, few, a little bit, but they've been able to get over there and, and have guys like hockey and Anderson and K- Nicholas Cronwall in the rinks and seeing some of these guys and, and when they haven't been able to get in the rinks they've been able to watch them on video and and see those players so it's it's been really advantageous for a team like Detroit who yes this is a tough year to scout but a, a team like Detroit a team like Tampa Bay they're they're smart enough where they're going to use the resources at their disposal and I think Detroit's going to be fine in that regard, especially with the European prospects.
0: Well, you know, I'll say this too. I mean, you know, obviously you mentioned Tampa and obviously Detroit. I mean, the common denominator there for, for someone like me is actually Steve Eiserman, who I think understands it. And if you look at the success he had, uh, and I know what, I believe it's Al Murray, who also was the scouting director down there in Tampa. Uh, uh, that you know that they get it, they understand it. Steve knows how to build a team, and obviously, I'm not surprised that he's using every resource uh, imaginable. I I know every time I talk to uh, uh, Chris Draper or or uh, even Sean Horkov, uh, uh, director of player development, and Draper, the uh, director of uh, of amateur scouting um, for the Red Wings. Um, you know, they're they they, they they're always trying to go to games. I mean, they're, you know, even though travel's is limited you know, the other, they're excited about that. So overall, it, it's kind of been, uh, and I, I just want to sum it up, European leagues for the most part have had at least opportunities for a number of prospects to play, even though it's been a little bit herky-jerky at times.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Like we've seen, like I said, 25 to 45 games for most of these guys, plus some of their junior tape, and then we've gotten – little things like this world under 18 tournament that's going on right now, it's going to be really important for teams to kind of get their, their views on guys. And I mean, it's in Texas right now and I'm sure Detroit has scouts down there. Every team has scouts down there and, and they're able to get in the ranks and see these guys. So a player like Fabian Lysel who they haven't been able to see, they're getting a view on him. A, a guy like Isaac Rose and another uh, Swedish kid, they're getting views on him now. And yes, they've had the video, but now they're able to get those live viewings and,
0: well, wow, that'll be, you know, I'm really kind of curious. I'm looking at the, uh, uh, you know, I, I knew that that the U-18 started. I knew it was in Texas, and I was looking at the NHL network to see if there's any games on on television or how it's going to be, uh, uh and utilized. it. Usually USA, uh, uh, team USA. Usually you get to see their games and, uh, we'll get into that tournament, uh, uh, in, in a second as well. Tony, uh, Ferrari, uh, the managing editor and head of scouting at, uh, Daber, uh prospects, uh, uh, joins us as we're kind of taking an overview of, uh, where the junior hockey, where the, uh, the next stars of tomorrow will be coming from. So, uh, Uh, I, I, I'm real curious about the Canadian hockey league too, um, which uh, consists of the Ontario league, the Quebec league and the Western league. Um, I think that, that, you know, I give them full marks for trying to get it started, but it looks like that has been a bit of a nightmare or am I overstating it? Have they been able to at least get
1: some sort of semblance of a season in all three leagues? Uh, It's a tough one with the CHL because you you really do have to split it up into three leagues because they've taken three separate, completely separate approaches and the QMJHL, they started basically on time and they've just dealt with stop and starts. They've had teams go up and down. They've, uh, had provinces whether it's uh, Nova Scotia or uh, uh, New Brunswick where they've gone you know what the teams in those two provinces won't play right now so all the teams in Quebec are going to bubble up and try to play together for a little bit and then those teams are, aren't are playing and the teams out in the Maritimes are bubbling up and playing to- against each other it's been a really weird year um, I think I saw something where like uh, Halifax and Charlottetown had played like 17 times this year like it's a crazy number of like super (laughs) regional yeah super regional games and it's 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 a weird year to scout those leagues that league especially it's kind of a an awkward thing where like you're seeing this team play the same team over and over same couple teams over and over and I mean, you're getting a lot of games and that's the advantage of that. And they've played a a pretty decent amount of games and they're actually going through with their playoffs right now and they're getting teams together. and, And some of the teams have had to drop out of the playoffs for the same, for the same reasons, right? COVID restrictions in the province or COVID restrictions in the, in the region. So It's an interesting league. And then when you go out West, where they they started their season extremely late, they started in the start of February, if I'm not mistaken, and they're doing a 24-game season. Every team's going to play inside their division. So, again, you're only playing against four or five other teams. And the U.S. teams out in Portland, uh, Seattle and stuff, they've all kind of grouped together as an American division. All these other teams have kind of grouped up where they are, whether it's Saskatchewan, B.C. or Manitoba. and they're playing divisionally, and, and you're getting a lot of decent views on guys. And like I said, it's 24 games. Um, we've seen a lot of these guys play for a few years now. Dylan Genther, top, one of the top draft eligibles from the West, he, he tore it up. And, and now he's at the World Under-18s with Canada. So you're going to get a, a, about 25 views on guys from the, de, from the WHL. And then we go to the OHL, where you're not getting any views on anyone. The league has completely canceled the season at this point. Um, there's hope that they can do a showcase event where they can get some players together to work on some things and, and kind of maybe have a, a small tournament or a small showcase event, maybe an, ex- uh, an expanded top prospects game kind of thing. But there's no guarantee of that. And they, they said they were going to push the season forward and they didn't do that. So how much can you really put into the, this tournament that they want to put on? It's a really interesting concept. I think that the tournament could be a really fun idea. It could be a really good idea for the NHL to market it. the The NHL could toss it on TV, whether it's on NHL Network, on Sportsnet, on NBC, whatever it may be, and get some promotion. Get sell some naming rights. Call it the Bridgestone Classic or something. Like, call it like the NHL can find ways to make money here. And, and if they don't, then it's going to be a missed opportunity. And unfortunately, it's going to be a missed opportunity for these kids who, in the OHL, they don't get a lot of. Uh, show right now because they're not playing. And I mean, the top guys, Brant Clark, uh, Mason McTavish, guys like that, they they were, they were had the advantage of going over to Europe and they played about 25, 30 games in the European League. So you're seeing these guys like Brant Clark went over to Slovakia. Mason McTavish and in, in Brennan Ottman went over to Switzerland. Uh, Carson Lambos from the WHL before that season started up, he was over in Finland. So seeing these guys go over there is nice, but that's only the top guys. There's still all these guys that are going to be drafted in the second, third, fourth round or even later that didn't get a season this year, and you're basing it off their 16-year-old year, which is going to be tough.
0: Right, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's tough enough to judge what an 18 year olds going to do, let alone a 16-year-old. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously everyone matures at different rates, and uh, you know, people are still uh, wondering when I'm going to mature, and, you know, I'm getting to be <laughs> an old man. So uh, I completely understand that. Uh, how important the OHL – and, and nothing against the Quebec League or the Western League there's a lot of fine hockey players but the CHL in general is really a breeding ground for the NHL how big of a step back is it for those prospects uh uh because you know the OHL if you look at it so many guys who are skating in the NHL come from that specific league
1: yeah the OHL is the big one of the three i think and and i think it's pretty pretty sel- like pretty well known that when you're ranking those leagues, it generally goes OHL, WHL, QMJHL, and that's just because of the translatability to the to the pro game. I think the OHL plays the closest style to the NHL, even though it's still very junior hockey-esque, and they, there's still a lot of things that need to be worked on before you get to the NHL, but it, it's closer, and I think the OHL not having a season this year is impactful. Um, at the same time, like I mentioned, there, a lot of kids did go over to Europe. A lot of kids did... Uh, Go down south and play in the USHL even a couple kids. So it's interesting to see how these kids adapted Unfortunately, there's going to be guys like Wyatt Johnson who plays for the Windsor Spitfires or Ryan Winterton who plays for the Sting who their only exposure this year is going to be a few games at the world under 18s. So how much do you really want to base their draft eligible status on seven games maybe at the world under 18s where they're playing on a loaded team Canada against a team like Latvia who Let's be honest, like it's just not the same quality. So right, right. It, it's going to be interesting to see how teams kind of evaluate those OHL players because you can project so much and you can use a lot of these European games. But like I said, for the guys that are only really playing at the U18s and, and maybe this showcase event, at best, you're going to get maybe 10, 11 games. And, and how much can you really judge off of that? And that's the, that's going to be the tough part for the OHL this year.
0: Well, you know, jumping around real, real quickly, I think you're doing a great job of giving us an overview and an understanding of uh, what really, and, uh, the, you know, the scouting staffs in the NHL and what independent uh, uh, people like yourself, Tony, have gone through this year. Um, U.S. colleges uh, are interesting. Some colleges just canceled the season straight out. Uh, others, like schools in the Big Ten, pretty much played a, an in-house conference-only schedule. There were a few non-conference games, I think, that 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 some of them were able to play. Uh, and, and they did crown a national champion uh, this year in U.S. colleges. Uh, what, how beneficial was that? Because when you look at it, and we'll get into this later, uh, if you include Luke Hughes, it, it appears that four Michigan Wolverines are, are listed in the top 10 or top 11 or so of every scouting service. So was U.S. college hockey very? was it a beneficial
1: and good year from a scouting perspective? I think this year was a really fun year for U.S. college scouting because it's not often that you get uh, th- three or four high-end prospects like this at, from a U.S. college system. And in this year we, we had three just at Michigan. And it, it's been really fun. And, and like you said, Luke Hughes is going there next year. So there there's a ton of colleges that have – some very good kids whether it's dovar tinling who's a, a later round pick as well like there, there's kids out there and the fact that u.s teams or u.s colleges played and, and got some seasons in like you said it, it was abbreviated it was a little bit different because it was mostly only conference schedule and it, it was a little bit of a weird season but they got the games in and for michigan specifically like a player like matthew benears he was supposed to play at harvard and, and because the ivy league shut down he transferred to michigan and then just added a another just amazing player to, to that Michigan roster where they had him, Luke, uh, Owen power and Ken Johnson, who were, like you said, top 12 prospects, top third, top 10 prospects who are going to go very high in this draft. And in having all three of them on the one team was really advantageous, but overall having college hockey go off, it was great for kids development. It was awesome that uh, even drafted prospects, whether you're uh, one of these guys that play for Boston college or whoever else, like, you got some games and you got to take steps in your development it's really impactful that you they had those games and, and quite frankly it would have really been unfortunate to not have those games because those guys are at such a key point in their development those are guys that if they're going to go to the next level if they're going to go to the nhl or ahl they're going to need to get stronger get faster play games and that's what college is designed for and i think college is a great route for these for a lot of kids to go and i think more kids should go to the the college route rather than the major junior route and i, I think now that we're seeing some of the top prospects matthew binears owen power uh, kent johnson uh, ayrton martino who's going to college next year uh, who's another first round p- prospect i'm on my board they've skipped going to the chl they've skipped going to the the high-end junior league so that they can go to college and in kind of stretch out their development a little bit. And I think that's a really smart thing. And the fact that colleges went off with not necessarily without a hitch, but went off was really important. I think this year.
0: Right. I know that there are a lot of people disappointed throughout the hockey world, wanting to see Michigan in that NCAA tournament uh, because they had such high end talent to see where these really young, uh, what these young freshmen uh, t- were going to do uh, in a one and done tournament, like the NCAA tournament is. And unfortunately Michigan had to pull out uh, along with Notre Dame, which was also a disappointment, uh, you know, you know, a day before they were scheduled to play. So uh, uh, that that was tough. Uh, you know, another league that I don't know how many people actually understand exactly what it is, but it does produce a lot of talent. A lot of guys from this league actually end up going to college uh, and, and playing and, and getting drafted into the NHL. But the USHL, it sounds like they too have tried to make a best out of what is a really... Um, uh,
1: I guess, unprecedented situation. Well, oh, man, the USHL is like my baby. I love that league. I think it's extremely, extremely underrated. I think people need to scout it way more because for the most part, you get teams scouting the Chicago Steel and the U.S. National Under-team- National Team Development Program but you're not getting teams that are scouting the Omaha's or the Tri-Cities and these other teams in that league because they're starting to produce a lot of really good talent, like you mentioned. I, I think the, this the USHL did a wonderful job of just getting the season in. They had a lot of problems. They had got they had cancellations, reschedulings, uh, games that were just axed. It, it, was, it was a weird year. It was a tough year. But talking to some of these kids, I've talked to a bunch of the kids on Chicago, on Omaha, and a few different teams, the national team, and they went, I'd rather it be like this than have this season where we just don't have it. I would rather have this season where... I show up to the rink and the game is canceled, but I still get to play my season rather than not having a season like the OHL. So I think the USHL did a fantastic job. I, I think they've been a little bit crazy at times with some of the arenas letting in fans the way they have without mask and everything like that. But I mean, they're working it. They're getting the season in and, and credit to them for that.
0: All right. And, uh, um, and, and you just said a tournament that was last year supposed to be in, in Plymouth, uh I, and and i believe Ann arbor both they were going to share it and probably at the yep. ice cube and uh, USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth uh is the U18s uh it is it, it's the who's who of who's going to be eligible uh, for this year's upcoming draft um i, I know it's, it, it it's very very important and from what i've been able to gather on that although there hasn't been a whole lot generated about about this tournament yet uh is the um is that virtually every high-end player, every high-end country will be playing uh, in this tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have all, like, for the most part, you have most of the best players in the world for this draft right now going into this tournament. Um, There's a few exceptions, like Jesper Wallstedt, the top goalie, uh, William Eklund, Owen Power. Those guys aren't there, but that's because they're late 2002 birthdays, not 2003 guys. But for the most part, you have a lot of the top guys, whether it's Fabian Lassell, Um, You you have a number of guys like Simon Robertson, Dylan Genther, Brant Clark. uh, Luke Hughes was supposed to be there, but his injury is going to prevent that. You're getting a lot of these guys where you're seeing them on a big stage against some of the best competition in the world. it's a fun tournament it's my favorite tournament of the year every year and and i'm partial to it because i am a draft guy and and this is the draft tournament where every kid's kind of in that draft eligible range but i mean you look at the groups this year you got the best countries in the world in russia united states finland uh they're in one group together with the czech republic and germany and then the other group has canada and sweden at the top and then belarus latvia and switzerland and switzerland's always a fun team like every team this year has at least a couple guys that you're like they they're gonna be worth it to paying attention to for the draft because even if they end up being a sixth seventh round pick from a, a kid from Germany or Latvia, you're gonna get a, a a prospect there. And, and then of course there's the, the United States, Russia, Canada, Sweden w- with all the top prospects as well. So it's a fun tournament. It's it's going off now. I think uh, my boy Fabian Lucel just scored as well. So um for sweden and and yeah it's a fun tournament i I definitely recommend anyone to watch it and like you said it's unfortunate that it's not on tv this year um it's all on hockey tv so you can check it out there but it's a ton of fun in canada they're they're streaming some of the canadian games on tsn um i think nhl network's gonna have some of the medal rounds especially the united states games so it's gonna be a little hard to find but if you can find it it's a great tournament
0: and uh, you know Tony, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, who are who who's going to uh, win this tournament?
1: Oh, I I just put my prediction out actually this morning, and I, I had Canada, Canada, Russia, and uh, Sweden as the three medalists. I had the United States in there, but they've had a lot of injuries like within the last two weeks. So they, they've got a few key players with Luke Hughes, Jeremy Wilmer, um, a, a few others that are out of the tournament. Like Chaz Lucius, their top uh, goal scorer is going to be out as well so the the united states is kind of reeling they, they're relying on a lot of their u17 age group to to kind of pick up the slack and i i think they're going to be feisty still and i think they're going to be a a fun team to watch but i i just don't know if they're going to be able to top those uh top three teams in canada russia and sweden in this year
0: uh, well well we're, we're going to hold you to it tony i and i'm not surprised that like canada was in your metal mix though i have to admit uh i I don't know a a proud canadian i've ever talked to that doesn't somehow make sure canada is uh uh, is in the metal mix so uh
1: most years i wouldn't have canada in the metal mix for this tournament because most years canada doesn't really care about the u18s for some reason they're very heavy on the they're very heavy on the holinka in august Whereas the United States is the opposite. The United States is really focused on this tournament. So it's a weird one where Canada does have a lot of their top players because they're not playing in the CHL playoffs this year. Whereas America's just they're having a down year because they have a lot of injuries and stuff to their top guys that are being affected at this tournament. But in most years, yeah, I wouldn't have Canada in the, in the medal bracket because they haven't even won a gold medal since 2013, I think. Uh, well, uh,
0: well, Well. 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 Yeah. I wish I could see more of it. I'm going to try to uh, catch some of it because uh, uh, I was really looking forward to it last year. And obviously, like everything was put on pause, and everything was eventually canceled. Uh, you know, people might be sitting here saying, "Well, what about the U.S. Uh, uh, development program uh, in, in Plymouth? The U17s and U18s? They play in leagues, and they are playing right now."
1: yeah the the u18 team is actually at this tournament right now they're doing their thing and like i said there's a few guys out but they've got a lot of their players there they've got a lot of the u17 top guys and and rutger mcgordy and isaac howard and a few other great great players like that that are playing a year up just to play at this tournament because they're missing guys and yeah, the U.S. national under development or U.S. national team development program is just a stacked program. It I I've said it before. I'm a Canadian guy, but that's my favorite team to watch in junior hockey. I'm at that rink more than probably any other rink in the world, and man, like I, I just love that that program and, and the way they do things there, and and they they just produce talent consistently year after year.
0: Well, now the UA team, what are they are they in the USHL? Am I correct about that?
1: Yeah, both teams are in the USHL. It's, uh, it's a bit of a weird situation because they split the USHL games between the U-17 and U-18 teams. And then the, both teams kind of play exhibition games as well. Uh, the U-18s generally play against colleges. Uh, that's why we've seen in the past them play against Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin, Boston College, all these teams like that. But this year it's been a little harder. So they're playing against teams like Lake Superior State and, and these smaller colleges that are a little bit closer to local than, than the big boys because the big boys just – because of COVID protocols and everything like that, weren't able to play the U18 team. So it's been a bit of a weird year with the program because they've mixed teams a few times. They've kind of uh, thrown half their U18 team out there with half their U17 team and called it a U18 group. And it's a bit of a weird year because of COVID, but th- that program's still top, top-notch, top-of-the-world, uh, world-class program. Uh,
0: Tony I want to kind of switch gears but we are going to get to the draft I promise everybody that but we're going to have Tony on where we'll extensively look at the draft but real real quickly the draft this year is scheduled uh, everyone that I've talked to thinks it's still going to be a virtual draft uh, uh, that it won't be in Montreal like it was scheduled last year maybe this year again it was supposed to be in Montreal it's the 23rd is round one and then the 24th of July is rounds two through seven I know that the league is adamant that it's going to be then, uh, and I think it's not going to change, but I know that virtually every GM in the league would like to see it changed. Uh, do you think there is any possibility, or will it go off as scheduled?
1: No, I think they're at the point now where they can't change it. I think they, they kind of implied that last time they came out with an update saying the 23rd and 24th of July. Um, I I think the big thing is like when I was talking around to different different scouts I know and, and associated with different teams is this is a very GM driven thing. The GMs have their name on the line. They're the ones that despite the fact that they're not necessarily the ones watching these six round picks with the same eye that their scouts are. They're the ones that their names attached to the pick. They're the ones that get the blame for the bad picks and the credit for the good picks, even if it's the scouts that do a lot of the work in that regard um so this the gms were very kind of worried about that situation but the scouts that i've talked to they they're comfortable with their regions they they understand that this is going to be a weird year but for the most part they're using the tools they're using whatever video platform that their team's associated with whether it's instat or hockey contract or all these different things and they're getting views on these guys um i think moving it would have been a little bit problematic because then you're doubling up the workload for next year trying to scout two classes at once which i mean it's hard enough to scout one class there's tons of mistakes made every year imagine trying to do it with two two different draft classes two different age groups and trying to combine them both for for next season so it i don't think it's going to move at this point uh from everything i know i've been told it's going to be virtual as well unfortunately and uh, that means I still won't be able to go to the draft and everything this year, but uh, it, it, I'm not going to complain in the long run because I know they're they're doing things to keep people safe and they're 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 going to get the draft off without a hitch. I'm still going to be able to cover it. Everyone's going to be able to cover it, and I mean the, there's still going to be teams that that make the picks, and I mean that's what it's all about.
0: Our guest is Tony Ferrari here on the Red and White Authority. Uh, he is the managing editor and head of scouting at Dauber Prospects. And uh, let's go into some Red Wing prospects who are already part of the Red Wing organization and uh, see what kind of years that they had because obviously uh, everything that you do, even though you're you know geared towards the draft, you see many of these Red Wing prospects because most of them played in Europe. You've already uh, kind of said that you know the Red Wing sending some of their high-end top-level prospects to Europe this year uh, was was a pretty good uh, a pretty good move by the organization. And uh, uh, first of all, we can't talk Red Wing prospects without starting off with the big guy, Mo Sider, uh, just recently awarded the Elite Prospect Award, given to the top junior age player in the Swedish Hockey League, and he was tabbed a finalist for the league's best defenseman. I don't know Tony. I I, I don't want to be get overly effusive in my praise for him. But what more does this kid need to do? I mean, he has to be a Red Wing next season.
1: Yeah, I think he's a Red Wing next season. I think he's, like, this might be a little bit bullish, and I've always been bullish on Moritz Sider. I was one of the highest people on him during his draft year. I had him 11th when the consensus was in the middle of the 20s and stuff. So I I was a little bit an outlier then, and I'm a little bit of an outlier now. But I I think Moritz Sider is the best defenseman not in the NHL right now. Of any age, of any any talent, the way this kid controls the pace of the game and plays the game, it's really impressive, and we see all the hits, and we see all the highlights and stuff, but just his poise at every moment on, uh, at the, in the SHL this year just screamed NHL player like there were times where i'd watch i'd be watching a Rogla game and i'd be like this kid's just he's not, he's too good for the SHL like he needs that step up and we saw him at the AHL level last year and he had a really good season and in this season he outscored his AHL production in the SHL in less games so the way this kid was playing this year, I, I don't think there's anything to say that he won't be an NHL player next year. And I won't be shocked to see him take a, a step into the lineup and be a productive member of that Detroit lineup next season. And I, maybe he's even on the power play. I, I'm sure he'll be on the penalty kill. Like, he's going to have a really good year next year, I think. And, I mean, he's going to be one of those bright, shining spots for a Detroit team that still isn't going to necessarily be expected to be a, a really competitive team next year.
0: Well, yeah, I've always said that the I, I think the number one a thing that the Red Wings look at um, a, a variable when the, when they're scouting a player. And, and I know maybe this sounds, oh, yeah, everybody does this, but it's really high hockey IQ, that if they can think the game, they think everything else will come to them as far as talent or working on what they have to, what skills they may need to uh, shore up on. And the one thing that I remember seeing Mo Sider play at the uh, Prospects Tournament two years ago now, um, or almost going on two years, Um uh, was uh, his uh, year and a half, I guess to be exact, <laughs> was how smart he was and how many minutes he played. I had other general managers that I know that, because they were that were part of the prospects tournament, say, "Wow, this kid is unbelievable. He's playing almost thirty minutes a game. I love the way that he uh, got under Kirby Doc's skin, <laughs> the Chicago yeah. high end prospect. I mean, he just seems to." really have a good self-awareness on the ice he seems to be a very very smart hockey player
1: yeah and i think that's what it is 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 uh, there's a lot of things missed because he was in germany in his draft year and i think that's a a a fault of many draft teams and in credit to detroit they they didn't fall into this trap where there there was a lot of people that thought oh this is a defensive defenseman he's a guy that doesn't have as much offensive upside and uh, maybe he doesn't get there offensively and but if he did then yeah we could see him being a higher higher end defenseman well in his draft year if you go back and talk to his coaches like and, and I reached out when I was scouting his draft year and I said hey why isn't this kid offensive because when you look at some of his stats from his junior career in Germany he was over a point a game or he was at a point a game what happened and the coach just straight up said to me we asked him to play defensively and he did Like we we told him, hey, we want you to focus on your own end of the ice and make sure you know what you're doing there. And and then the offense can come from that. And Mort Sider was like, all right, I'll just be the best defensive defenseman I can be. And he absolutely shut things down now fast forward a year and a half later, he's showing showcasing all those offensive tools. He's showcasing the, the gifted passing and the intelligent play he has with the puck on his stick. So it, it's really impressive to see just the development of this kid's game. And he, he's going to be a kid that every time I see him do something good in the NHL, I'm going to have a smile on my face. Knowing I was, I was one of the very few people that had faith in him early.
0: Well, you know, well, you're that, that that's why you, that's why you're on the red and white authority there, Tony, you know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, let's, you know that's why I always love having you on on, on the podcast here. Uh, let's go to Joe Valeno, who we think is going to make his NHL debut sometime this week. Um, he was with Malmo, the Red Hawks in uh, 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 in Sweden, had a pretty good year. Moved to the wing, uh, suffered unfortunately a concussion right at the end of their season. Has not been cleared as of yet, but we expect any day now he will be and he'll be in the Red Wing lineup. Uh, how did Joe's year go?
1: Joe's year was a, a bit of a weird one because he started off slow. Um, and I think there were some very valid reasons for going, oh, why is he not producing at all here? And, and he, like like I said, he he didn't produce right away. He was, he was doing a lot of the little things right, though. And I think that's the big thing with his game is he's such a, a detail-oriented guy that I think he's going to be able to play at the NHL level, even if his offense never translates, which I, I do think it will eventually. But in, in, especially in these first few games here, if he gets in this week or next week, He's going to be on that third line, probably. I think we, in on the line rushes today when he was at practice, we, he was on that third line playing center, and Jeff mm-hmm. Blaschel said he was going to play center as well. So I, I think you're going to be intrigued by his the little details he does. Um, his offensive game did start to come towards the end of the year though. I think he started to become more reliant on on shooting the puck because he's a very generous player in that regard and he likes to pass. He's a playmaker at heart, I think, and he doesn't love using his shot as much In as this season kind of went on and Malmo wasn't always the greatest team in the world, so he was able to kind of showcase his shot a little bit more. He was able to try to be a little bit more greedy towards the end of the year and he was starting to produce a little bit more. Uh, I even started getting assists uh, off of plays where the teams would think he's shooting because he did have a good shot. Um, I I don't think he blew the doors off by any means. He had 20 points in 46 games, which is perfectly acceptable for a two way center at the SHL level as a 20, 21 year old. And and I think he had a good season. I, I think it improved greatly towards the end. I think that that's a good sign of hope. And, I I, th- I can't wait for him to get into this lineup because I think he's going to be a really fun player and he may not be a player that everyone loves, but I think the the diehard hockey fans, the old school guys that really want to look at the details of the game, really appreciate a good two way center. Th- that's going to be the guys that, that Joe Valeno kind of attracts in. It's going to be interesting to see kind of where he fits in with among a, a lot of these high end offensive prospects that Detroit has in their system.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm eager. I, you know, I, I mean, I like him a lot. I've known, I know him, you know, pretty well. And, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to, to uh, him making his debut and, uh, uh, you know, keeping himself in the, uh, in the Red Wing lineup. And actually he said that, you know, he didn't mind playing wing. And when he was – because he had exceptional status in the queue, uh, he, he started off playing wing. But as you said, Jeff Blashell did say after today's practice, when Joe gets into the Red Wing lineup, uh, whenever that is, he's definitely going to be slated for center. Another guy who had a great year in the Swedish Hockey League was uh, Jonathan Berggren. Uh, I would imagine he's going to be given uh, a pretty good shot to make this Red Wing team next year. Uh, maybe he'll need to go to the AHL uh, to 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 Grand Rapids, but uh, uh, he really uh, uh, was setting uh, some record kind of numbers, actually.
1: Yeah, he was fantastic this year. He had forty five points in forty nine games at the SHL level, which is fantastic for his age. Um, just an exceptional, exceptional creative playmaker. Like the the some of the passes this kid makes, like I, I you don't even see. What he's trying to do when he goes to do it and uh, one of the things i kept saying when i was watching him play is i'm like oh don't make that oh never mind you made that pass like it <laughs> was one of those things where like you're like oh there's no lane there but he finds a way to get the puck through he's just so accurate with his passing he's got such good touch i, I think he's gonna be an exceptional playmaker and i i just have like visions of him and zadina on the on the power play together where he's able to set zadina up and in and- and just score a ton of goals it- it's going to be really fun to see kind of Jonathan Ber- Jonathan Bergeron work with some of these guys that, that do have a, a really good shot in the Detroit system uh, I think Jonathan Bergeron's probably going to need a little bit of AHL time up until this season he's had a few years I think going back to 2017-18 even where he's dealt with a few injuries here and there and and it's been kind of a slow burn for him and, and we saw it last year where he had 12 points in 24 games and you're like okay well stay healthy and let's see what you can do Well, this year he stayed healthy and he tore apart the SHL. So I think he probably does come to North America next year. I wouldn't be shocked to see him back in the SHL next year, but I I think he's kind of answered every question he's had over there really, except, hey, do you want to be an elite goal scorer as well, which I, I don't think is necessarily part of his game. So I think coming to the AHL, getting a shot in camp, if he can make this roster out of camp, that'd be awesome. But I think... A season or half a season of AHL time would be really beneficial for him. Just get used to the strength and physicality that that the North American game entails, and and then bring him up midway through the season after the trade deadline. After you trade someone. Who's expiring contract or something like that and you clear a spot on the roster that's when you can bring jonathan bergman into the lineup let him kind of mesh with some of the guys towards the end of the the season next year and then you get him for the full year of the year after that on the on the red wings lineup and man like i i think the the slow burn development that this kid's taken is going to be really beneficial for him because there were a lot of people in his draft year that said including myself who were like man he's a first round pick and i had him right at the tail end of my first round a lot of people had him hi- higher i know uh at the time my boss cam robinson if i'm not mistaken had him in at 18 or 19 on his list and that that's the talent is there for that the 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 issue has always been staying healthy and and can he stay healthy and i certainly hope he can because he's got an exceptional talent and and a ton of playmaking ability that'd be really fun to watch on this red wings roster
0: and uh let's go to uh he was drafted fourth overall uh in the first round last year i I had to have uh, a little uh repaired job done on his elbow but that is lucas raymond whom uh by all accounts, you know, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um, Steve Eisen, when he drafted him said he has the potential of being an elite level forward. Steve usually doesn't say that that much about anybody. He always kind of, uh you know, tempers his remarks a little bit, but uh, obviously Lucas Raymond was having a pretty good year in the SHL. Uh, unfortunately he got hurt.
1: Yeah, I think it, it, Lucas Raymond's such a fun prospect. I, I love Lucas Raymond. I remember coming on the podcast last year just before the draft and there was a lot of Cole Perfetti talk and Alex Holtz, and there was a few other guys that were kind of in the wheelhouse. And I remember bringing up Lucas Raymond, and, and there were a few people that commented after the podcast. And even I think yourself were like, oh, really, this kid, is he in the mix as well? And and, and I certainly did think so then, and I, I, I 100% think so now. Like he, he was definitely worth that pick because the the talent and play driving ability this kid has he's not a center and, and you generally look to the center to to be that play driver whether it's Connor McDavid Austin Matthews Patrice Bergeron you look through the league and those are the guys driving play but you get those exceptional wingers whether it's a Patrick Kane or a Mitch Marner or a Gabe Landeskog or, or Miko Rantanen who can play in in push a line and drive a line on their own And you're seeing that from Lucas Raymond at the SHL level. He's not necessarily an elite, elite score at the SHL level yet, but he's a guy that has all of the talent. He just needs to get stronger. He just needs to mature physically. And that's just a part of giving a guy like this time. But man, the, the, the talent that this kid has, the offensive potential that this kid has is really special. I think he may not be in the, the NHL next year. I think, ideally you want him to play in the shl again next year you can give him a shot in camp or something maybe maybe the ahl but i i think he's a guy that comes into the lineup at the end of the year next year plays seven eight games and and really starts to show something then there and then in in two years in 22 23 i I think that's the season where he's going to take over and and really solidify a spot on this red wings roster
0: Uh, another guy that is really kind of intriguing and uh, he was drafted uh uh, last year in the 220 uh the 2020 draft uh, 51st overall um, is uh, uh, Theodore or theo uh, theo Niederbach or Niederbach I'm not sure exactly how he pronounces it but uh, um, you know he seems to be a very intriguing prospect i remember when the when the wings drafted him uh, a couple of friends that I know that are scouts said this kid is really kind of a diamond in the rough as far as if you see him, you know he has talent. But if you don't see him, you might look at, you know, 5'9", uh, 157 pounds, and it may scare you away.
1: Yeah, he's an interesting prospect because he plays a little bit bigger than he is. He he, he has a little, bit of, a little bit more grit to his game than you'd expect for a player his size. But th- this kid's really talented. I think he's going to be one of those players that are are a really good complimentary player I don't think you can expect the world out of him I I don't even think you can expect necessarily a Jonathan Bergeron kind of development from him but he's going to be a player that I think can play in in your middle six he's going to be a player that can play a little bit in all situations he excels on the power play I think that's where he he really is going to make his money because he does have the extra room there but he's got soft hands he's he's lacks a little bit of strength and whatnot but there, there's a skilled, smart player here. And, and when given the room and given the space, he's able to kind of tear things up. At five on five, he's going to need, need a little bit of work. He's going to need to add some some strength and, and power to his stride and everything. But this is a guy that you, you drafted and, and you go, okay, this is a guy that we're worried about three years from now. We're not, we're not worried about rushing him in the lineup tomorrow. And I think that's a, a credit to the Detroit scouting staff and, and the way they're just developing things throughout this rebuild is that they know th- this isn't about next year. This is about a couple years from now, three years from now, when this team can really start to pick pick up steam and get going. And, and Theodore Niederbach going to be one of those guys that kind of slips into the lineup, kind of raid as everything's starting to get, get good for the Detroit Red Wings.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I know we're jumping around, and uh, uh, there's so many guys I really do want to uh, to ask you about, but I want to ask you about a couple of defensemen, maybe a goaltending prospect or or, or two, and, and and then do a real quick overview of the draft, which will will set us up for the next podcast when we really go heavy into the uh, uh, upcoming NHL draft this coming July. Um, but uh, are, are there any other forwards that you'd like to mention, or somebody that you know in the forward core that we have? And even though I know we we, we talked about uh,
1: uh, Mo Sider, who obviously is a defenseman. Uh, the one guy I want to give a little bit of love to is is Elmer Soderblom, and, and he's a guy that Red Wings fans have kind of come to to love a little bit as a, a right. cult cl- a cult hero almost. And he's this big hulking forward who has uh, a ton of skill, but his foot speed needs work. He, he's going to be work. He's been working on his foot speed. It's come a little bit of a ways, but there's still work to do there. But this is a guy that you, you put in your bottom six, and he can be a productive player, and he can add a few points here and there. He's not a guy that's going to be this dead zone offensively uh, on your fourth line, but he's, he's getting bigger. He's using his size a little bit more. And and it's really fun to see him kind of come into his own there.
0: And uh, let's move then quickly to, to defensemen. Uh, Let's go with last year's uh, uh, drafted in the uh, 32nd overall. So the, uh, uh, the first pick of the second round, uh, William Wallander, whom I know the Red Wings thought was going to go not be there when they drafted him. Uh,
1: what can you tell us about him? William wallander's a raw prospect. This kid has so much upside. And, and with his size and his skating ability, it's just really in, incredible to see a, a player at his size have the the, the mobility that he has. He's, he's not necessarily a, an offensive defenseman, but he's a really good transitional guy. I think he's going to get some points just – by proxy, by being a guy that passes up to the forwards and they get some they get some really excellent chances, but he's a guy that I think is going to be a, a good Middlesex guy, he's got room for, to, for improvement defensively, but he's got the frame, he's got the tools, you, you see everything kind of working out there, you, you don't see it at the same time, I think he needs to bring things a little bit together, I think he's going to be able to kind of develop slowly, he's another one of these guys that you're looking at and you're like, man, in two or three years, he could really be something special. Um, this year he had he had a season kind of split between uh, the tw- J20 league, which is the the J20 national, and he had six points in four games there. But he played most of his season at the the Alsvenskan, which is second tier. It's basically the AHL for the SHL, um, and, and he had a pretty decent season there, 14 points in 43 games. It's it's not necessarily anything to ride home about, but his value comes from getting the puck and turning it up ice, and he's able to do that so efficiently and so powerfully with his stride and his passing abilities. Like I said, there, there's room for improvement. There's refinement that's going to need to be done on his game, but the the skills and the talent that this kid has, I, I was not necessarily shocked. He was there at the, at the start of the first round, but he was a guy that started the second round. Sorry. But he was a guy that I certainly had rated in my first round. And when, when Detroit grabbed him, I'm like, Oh, just another good draft pick by them.
0: <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, hopefully you're right there, Tony. Cause I, uh, you know, obviously the Red Wings, uh, you know, Steve keeps accumulating them and, uh, you know, there's so many of them. They've got some of them have to stick. Hopefully, William Wallander is one of those guys. Another guy who's really intriguing, too. Uh, Finnish defenseman, uh, drafted 70th, 70th overall in last year's draft. Uh, Emil Vero. Uh, uh, again, uh, you know, it sounds weird. And I know it's like, come on, Art, everybody you're saying has a chance. But really, everybody has a chance here. I mean, we're, we're talking about guys who are pretty high-end prospects.
1: Yeah, I'll get into Emil Vero in a second, but I want to address what you just said there is the Red Wings did a really good job in the last few years, especially of, of drafting guys that have a chance. And the thing with that is when you draft, when you draft for upside and you draft for a, a guy that can be a second line guy, if he fails, well, then you got a fourth line guy. The The problem is there's a lot of teams in the NHL and we look around draft boards and everything. When they draft a, a good gritty guy, who's, just going to be a fourth line mauler and they dropped him in the first or second round and you're like, okay, well, like If that guy doesn't work out, then he's probably not in the league, whereas when you're getting a guy like Emil Vero, a guy like William Wallander, there's that chance that they can be that higher-end player, and if they don't reach that, well, then maybe there's a chance that they can be on the bottom end of your roster, and, and now to go to Emil Vero, he's a, a pretty good puck-moving defenseman. He's got two-way qualities to him. Uh, I, I think he'll be a middle-pair guy, maybe a bottom-pair guy, but he's a smart player. He He thrives on using his brain to kind of process the process things and, and move the puck to teammates efficiently He he's not a guy that when he goes for the big passes when he really tries to push things that's when he starts to get into trouble i think we see that with a lot of young defensemen but emil vero's kind of gotten that through his head and gone okay well now, now maybe i need to pull things back a little bit and he's still producing fairly well offensively like uh, 14 points in 53 games at the legal level is nothing to like nothing to to shy, shy be shy about like he had a good season But it's going to be interesting to see. He's another one of those guys like William Wallander where if he can bring some things together and he can get his tools to kind of stack on top of each other and really start to build a base for what his game is going to be, there, there's traits there that could make him a pretty good modern day defensive guy who, who's able to kind of stop the puck and move it to the forage real quickly and that's kind of what the defensive game has become in today's game is where you don't necessarily want to be a you don't necessarily want the guy that can just defend all day in his own zone and not be damaged because then you're in your own zone you want the guy that's able to stop playing transition turn it up ice and get puck moving in, the, in a positive direction and Vero and, and wallander are, are both guys that do that.
0: And uh, uh, we've mentioned him just uh, at the beginning of the podcast, but Albert Johansson, uh, taken in the 2019 draft, 60th overall, he again appears to be a guy that has a legitimate shot.
1: Yeah, I think this is a guy that you might be able to kind of think about playing on the Red Wings or on the on the Griffins next year. I think he's a guy that I would personally bring over to the to the North American side of things. And if he's at the AHL level, you're not complaining. But he's a guy that has some skill. He's got a, a lot of really smart. Uh, tendencies to his game, he out, finds his outlets really well. I, I think there's there's a lot of potential here with him, and you're seeing that the skating is his pride and joy. Like, that's, that's what makes him a special prospect, and, and the fact that he's so mobile, he's able to change directions on a dime, he's so fluid with his stride, that's what you really want to see from a modern-day defenseman, and his ability to kind of push pace and that's one of the things I really like about Albert Johansson is he he's a pace pusher. Like, he's going to get the game moving. You're not going to – if he's on the ice, you're rarely going to play one of those games where you're you are bored out of your mind. And I, <laughs> I know there's been complaints about some Detroit Red Wings hockey this year that's been like that. But Albert Johansson's not going to be that guy. And I, I think as we're starting to see the this prospect pool modernize, we're getting more and more guys like that where even if they are a defensive guy like, like uh, the two guys we just talked about in Wallander and Vero – they're going to be guys that are able to push the pace and and get things moving fast. And, and that's how you want to play the game today. And and Albert Johansson's a guy that can do that.
0: You know, a guy that might be surprising. We talked about how uh, the OHL is essentially just, you know, they try, they gave it the old uh, and no pun intended, the old college try, but it just didn't happen this year for them. Uh, But he was playing for the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, Dominic uh, Sobrango, uh, who was drafted last year, 63rd and overall in the third round uh donovan uh, uh i think i might have said dominic uh, donovan Sabrango. i don't know i insist on calling him dominic for some reason but uh uh, uh sobrango who the red wings signed you an entry level contract has played most of the year with the grand rapids griffins and according to ben simon their coach really hasn't looked out of place here's a guy that unfortunately we didn't want to see a shutdown but really playing in the ahl seemed to really benefit him
1: yeah, he's an interesting player because he went over to Slovakia and played in the second league there and played a few games, and he had three points in five games, but he's come over to the AHL, and I I think that the the statement where he doesn't look out of place is pretty correct. I think he's been a capable player there, but clearly he's still a little bit above his head i i i, I think it's a, a good year for him because it, it, playing is better than not playing certainly and, and getting ahl time is letting him see okay like i need to get stronger in this area of my game i need to work on this part of my game and there's a lot of things that i think he's going to come away from this year going okay i need i need to improve here here and here because these are my strengths and this is how i can get to the nhl and this is how i can kind of mold my my play style and this is going to be a good year for him to see, hey, what do I need to do? Because DHL, it's a tough league, and it's a tough league for any guy to come into right after their draft year, let alone a guy that, like you said, he wasn't drafted in the first round. He was, wasn't even drafted in the second round. He's a third-round pick, and um, th- there's going to be struggles. Um, only one point in 19 games for a guy that not necessarily leans offensively, but he's a decent two-way defenseman. He He's clearly kind of in over his head a little bit but he's capable at, at this level, which is nice to see because a lot of times when you throw a player drafted in the third round into the AHL, then very next year, you see him kind of just like drowning in, in, in that league. So it, it's been nice to see Sabrango kind of play some capable minutes at the AHL level, but I definitely think that he's got a little bit of a ways to go before he gets to the NHL. And, and I mean, like I said, he was only drafted last year as a third-round pick, so there's no rush to get this guy in, into the lineup.
0: Uh, you know, I, I know there's. It seems like we're really concentrating on a lot of defensemen, but the Red Wings seem to have a, uh, you know, some some very interesting prospects on, on the back end. Uh, Seth Barton, who they also signed, uh, uh, he was a third rounder, eighty first overall. I mean, I remember talking to uh, Seth at development camp, and he knew he had a long ways to go, but he's willing to put in the work. It sounds like the Red Wings have liked the work he's put in since they actually signed him to an entry level deal.
1: Yeah, he's an interesting prospect because he's kind of got. Nothing that, that pops out of his game, I think. And, and that's kind of the weird thing with him is that he's just a guy that when you're not noticing him, that's when he's going to be at his best. He's got good size, 6'3", uh, 190 if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, pl- played at UMass this year, like he's at a good program. He's going to be developing over time. And and like you said, he's not a guy that they're going to be rushing. He's not a guy that they're going to be like, hey, you need to be in the lineup this year. Um, he He's got time. Let him kind of play it out. He he plays a really effective defensive game. He he's a guy that he's just going to get the puck and move it to his partner or move it up the ice to to a a retreating forward and just be there. He doesn't need to be the star. He understands his role and he plays his role really well. And I think for for a guy that understands where he fits into a lineup, I I think he's got a chance to be successful. Maybe he's just an AHL guy at the end of the day, but I think it was a pretty decent pick. in the draft maybe a little bit higher than i would have taken him but i mean he's been pretty good this year in the few times i've seen him
0: and uh uh, uh anti tumisto uh played in denver uh, obviously he was uh, also a high draft pick 35th overall in 2019 in the second round uh you know adjusting to uh the college game or the smaller ice surface uh what type of year did he have
1: he had a pretty good year like a better year than i expected at least offensively 11 points in 24 games uh yeah he's a big guy like good size 6 foot 4 uh plays with a really heavy shot really heavy on the boards he's willing to kind of finish physically he plays a, a little bit of a throwback game in that sense but he has a lot of the skill that you look at and you're like okay that's a that's a requisite to playing at the NHL level at this point in in time so he's a really interesting player i think he was a player that a lot of teams didn't love because in his draft year, he didn't want to play pro uh, in, Sweet- in uh, Finland. Sorry. Um, he was offered to a couple of times uh, from what I remember, but he said no because he wanted to go to the university and he wanted to go to the NCAA route. And if he played in the Liga, then he wouldn't have been able to because he would have lost his eligibility. So credit to him for sticking to his guns, getting to Denver and I mean, he had a good season. Like, I, I think I only saw him once or twice this year personally, but from everything I've heard, everything I've read, he's had a really good year. I think to me he was a guy I really liked in his draft in, in 2019. I had him actually ranked right where the Red Wings picked him at 35, so it was kind of funny. I, I remember <laughs> when that happened, but um he's like i said he's a guy that i think is going to play at the nhl level he's got a little bit of that uh of of risk to him which uh, which i'm not uh opposed to i I like a player who's willing to try things and willing to try to push a little bit higher than where he's kind of projected at and i think he's going to be one of those guys that you're you're probably banking on him being a, a second or third line guy or second or third pairing guy but there, there's a chance I think where he, he really works out and he can be a complimentary guy on a first pairing. Um, I don't think that's ideal, but I, I think there's a chance with this skill set that he has that he can be one of those guys that maybe pops off and, and does become one of those prospects that not necessarily everyone thought of as being a guy that has that potential, but he, he's got the skill and the, and the requisite skill in size to do it. And I, I think he's going to be a good player at the NHL level.
0: Uh, and uh, let's uh, look at one more defenseman. Uh, uh, Jared Jared McIsaac, uh, the poor kid. Ever since he's been drafted by the Red Wings, it seems to be hurt. I, at least two, if not three, uh, 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 shoulder surgeries. I uh, uh, now playing in Grand Rapids, but here is a guy. I remember when the Red Wings drafted him, and you know he's been on Team Canada. I mean, he he seems to be one of those prospects that uh, again has a legitimate shot if he could only stay healthy.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier with Jonathan Bergeron where he was—he had a couple seasons of just injury after injury after injury. And and basically, since he's been drafted, that's what Jared McIsaac has been suffering from. It's been shoulder. It's been a, a wrist, a groin. it has been a few different things that, with him that you're like, man, if, if he could just stay healthy, there's a player there. Um, I still really like him when he's on the ice. I still think he has an offensive upside. I think he's a good two-way player. Um, he's going to be a guy that he'll, he'll hit a little bit, he'll play good defense, he'll kind of win that plus-minus battle that some of the, the older fans still like, And uh, but I, I just don't know with him because it's been so many years now, uh, three straight years if I'm not mistaken, where he's had a, a, not necessarily a significant injury, but an injury that's limited his season to an extent where you, you just don't know with him anymore.
0: Yeah, I, I know. I I wish for the best for him. Hopefully, he, he can stay healthy and shows, uh, uh, you know, shows his game comes around and shows the Red Wings exactly what he has. Now, I don't know how comfortable you are. I mean, there there's a few go- goaltending prospects that still seems to be maybe the position that that the Red Wings uh, might still be looking uh, uh, for someone. Although they, they have a couple of really interesting names. I know there's a couple of uh, 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 Swedish goaltenders, but Keith Petrozelli seems to have put his. Uh, put himself back on the map with his uh, junior and just concluded senior season at Quinnipiac. Although I think the Red Wings have to sign
1: him by the draft. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, is Keith in your mind, a legitimate prospect? I think he's a legitimate prospect. I think, especially when you're looking at the Red Wing system right now for goalies, you go, there really isn't a guy. So you, you got to try to have someone in the pipeline. I think Petrozelli is a guy that you sign. He had a really good year at Quinnipiac this year, uh, a pretty solid year last year as well. I think, Uh, Looking at his stats now, he had 920 state percentage last year, 926 this year. Uh, in 34 and th- in 29 games respectively. And I, I think whenever I've se- seen him, he's been really good. He's been stable. He's moved around his crease well. I think there are times when he can get a little bit, little bit wild in his crease and stuff. But I-, I think for the most part, he's a good goaltender. I think he's going to need to clean some things up technically, especially coming off his posts and stuff. But for the most part, I-, I think this guy's a legitimate prospect at very worst. I, I think y- you work on signing him before the draft. Like you said, he's got to be signed this year. Um, because you, you toss him in your AHL roster next year and you go, Hey, what do you have? And then you got three years to see what, what you have with them. And, and then you move on if you need to. But I, I think he's a guy that can at least kind of give you AHL depth, maybe a backup at the NHL level. And, and I mean, it, with goalies, who knows, maybe he ends up being a, a five, six, seven, eight year starter for, for the team. So um, goalies are always weird, but I definitely think he's kind of claimed uh, the top spot on the Red Wings' depth chart in terms of prospect goalies.
0: When you look at, uh, you know, how, but Philip Larson just seems to be injured. Uh, unfortunately, he can't stay healthy. Uh, he has had a tough go uh, since he's turned pro.
1: Yeah, he's he's a prospect that you watched, and you're like, there's the athleticism, like that's there. You you don't think he's gonna necessarily struggle with that, and I don't think he has struggled athletically. It's the part of kind of working technically and, and getting in this frame and, and understanding the the way to work around his crease and everything that, that I found with him sh- that he's struggling with. Um, I don't know if it's maybe just a, a coaching issue or what it's been, but I, I think he kind of needs to recenter himself, kind of focus on the technical aspect of the game because he is athletically gifted and he's going to be able to do that stuff because when he was coming out as a, a prospect, he did have a lot of really nice tendencies, especially at the USHL level, where he was pretty technically sound. And, and there's been a couple times in the last few years where I viewed him where he just he seems to have lost that technicality to his game. And I, and I don't know what, what what's happened there or, or what it's been, or maybe it's just kind of panicking as he's got higher levels. But he's definitely a guy that uh, you want in your system because he's still got that potential. But he's definitely lost some of the luster that he had kind of a couple years ago.
0: All right, real quickly, because I do want to get to the draft at least for a few minutes here. Uh, but we definitely have to have you on for sure now, Tony, because uh, yeah. I spent a lot of time on, on the uh, on the prospects. So we're going to have to do a, a, a draft-specific show uh, uh, here in the next few weeks or so. But uh, with that said, um, I call him Jan Bednash, because that's how my friends from the Czech Republic say he should pronounce it. Uh, but uh, we've North Americanized it to uh, Jan Bednar. Uh, who was drafted in the uh, fourth round last year in the 2020 draft, uh, playing in the queue this year, uh, a transition year for him, or has he shown something why the Red Wings would put, would uh, invest a fourth-round pick in him?
1: Well, first, got to give you a prop for the Jan Badnash uh, pronunciation. I love it. I always try to pronounce their names as close to properly as I possibly can, and, and he's definitely one of those guys that uh, – you nailed the name there for in check but yeah he he's had a, a bit of a weird year he started off in the Czech league he played five games or six games uh just had an okay save percentage like under under 900 if i'm not mistaken and then he went to the QMJHL and, and that's been a bit of a transition as well and he he's ha- been just under uh, 900 there as well in 894 in 12 games and I don't think he's necessarily played bad, but he's definitely adjusting to the system. He's definitely adjusting to North American hockey. And um, as a goalie, like I've talked to a few goalies who have transitioned over to North America, and it it is a little bit different with the angles and stuff because you're used to a guy coming out from a little bit wider. You're not used to guys being so close when they're off the wings because that, that little bit of difference, five, six feet on every side, it, it closes things in a little bit more and, and the shots come in a little bit quicker and everything. So it's been nice to see his stats kind of jump up from where they were in, in Europe, but he's still not where you'd love him. To, you'd like him to be at over a 900 and everything. He's a goalie though. Like you, you've got time with him. You're not rushing him or anything like that, especially like you said, he's a mid-round pick. Um, but I, I think there is at least a, a prospect there. You, you don't necessarily rush to sign him, but you're not trying to throw him away either.
0: All right, and then a, a guy that when he was drafted, and I think he he was close. He wasn't exactly Mister Irrelevant in the NHL draft, but he was the Red Wings' last pick in the seventh round, one hundred ninety-first overall in two thousand and nineteen. But they seemed ecstatic that he was available. He played at Colgate this year, and it's Car- Carter Guylander who really was setting records in his junior leagues, although they weren't the. Tip-top junior leagues, but uh, uh, he seems to be a guy that could be a find.
1: Yeah, Carter Guylander is an interesting one because he played at the uh, the AJHL level, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he yeah. So I'm definitely thinking of the right prospect. Yeah, he played at the AJHL level <laughs> with Sherwood Park. Um, he, he's an interesting guy because he's he's got some decent size, he's got some decent projectability, um, but he's lanky. He's super super lanky. That's that's one thing I remember from him. It's, it's under 200 pounds as a goalie, uh, up at six foot five. Yeah. He, he's a, a thin guy. He had a good year at Colgate. I think uh, it's not necessarily a powerhouse college. Um, the, they're kind of a college that goes through cycles of being really good and then struggling for a few years. And this year was just an okay year for the team. And he had a pretty good year overall. I think when I've seen him play a couple times this year, he's been solid in it. I I think he he has a lot of technical aspects that he needs to work on. Um, That's just a a product of coming from the AJHL where he probably didn't get the same level of coaching you'd get at the CHL level or the USHL level. Um, But now that he's in college, you let him develop. You let him get that coaching. You let him get that... Technical aspect to his game under control, and then you work with the athleticism and the size that he has, and and you could have a really good goalie here. I think he's a guy that I remember in his draft year, people were talking about, oh, maybe he's like the third or fourth best goalie in the draft, and and then he fell to, like you said, late late in the draft in Detroit. Grabbing at one ninety one, like I I don't think you can complain about getting a goalie who who put up over a nine hundred save percentage at the NCAA level with a seventh round pick. Like he's he he's gonna project somewhat slowly but he's a goalie so you don't expect him to be there anytime soon
0: all right let's turn our attention very very quickly here because i i've taken up a lot of your time uh uh, already tony but uh uh this year's draft you know usually drafts are known for a couple of years ago you know team usa or the americans had a, a wealth of forwards like 11 of them were were drafted in the first round some extraordinary number like that or you know this year it's a it's it's heavy on defensemen this year has been so but this coming year this coming draft is there one position or is it such a hodgepodge because everything was so up in the air this year
1: it is a bit of a weird year. I think there were two countries coming into the year that you were like, oh, man, these two countries are going to have tons of prospects, and that's the United States and Sweden. Um, with the United States, I think we've we've kind of softened on their class. Some of the players, whether it's due to injury or just not being seen or whatever it may be, they've kind of lowered themselves on draft boards. I remember at the start of the year, that national team was kind of littered all over the first round of most draft boards, and and now it's kind of damped down. It's, it's three or four or five guys maybe. Uh, in the first couple rounds that people are looking at, and I, I think there's still a lot of talent with the in the U.S. for for this draft. But Sweden, I think, has been the, the country that has been the one to watch this year. And I mean, I'm sure Red Wings fans love hearing that because they they draft so well out of Sweden. But there's a ton of players. And in, in my top four, there's three guys that are all from from Sweden. Uh, in my top ten, there's four or almost five in the top twelve. So. Like there's a ton of Swedish talent this year, both up front in, in on the back end, and and they have the best goalie that I've seen probably maybe ever as a as a prospect guy, um, scouting the draft. I mean, I wasn't around for Carey Price when he was kind of drafted and back in 2005, but Jesper Walstad. Like we've seen a couple good goalies the last couple of years in, in Spencer Knight and uh, uh, Yaroslav Askarov last year, and Jesper Walstad in my opinion is the best of the bunch, and, and wow. he's a talented talented goaltender um he's at number four on my board right now and i i don't see him going any lower than that if anything maybe he ends up at number two like there's that real possibility because like with goalies there's there's a feel to them and and i think anyone that studies goalies kind of knows that um you you look at a lot of the technical aspects i've talked about it with guys like guylander and petrozzelli where some of the technical aspects they need to work on it doesn't have all those technical flaws. This kid is maybe the most technical goaltender I've ever seen at this age. He's a guy that um, goalies have never played a, a full season at the SHL level, and, and he's done so, and he's done really, really well with a ni- uh, above 900 save percentage, uh, a great, great just track record this year in the SHL. His ability to kind of just control the game and calm things down is really impressive because he's a guy that at 17, 18, he's six foot, six foot four, he's 215 pounds, he's Filled out for a goalie already. He's a calming presence on in the crease, and, and that's a really valuable thing. So, especially in a year like this, where there is no surefire number one, there's no high, high end prospect that's going to be a franchise changing player. Jesper Walston has that possibility in his game. And I, I think he could be one of those guys that we're looking back on the draft and we're like, man if people just had like the, the cojones to, to draft a goalie high, then maybe he would have been first overall, but uh, teams always shy away from goalies because goalies are so fickle and, and it's hard to kind of project them. But I think out of any goalie that I've seen, Yesper Walsett would be the one guy I'd be willing to take a chance on in the top five.
0: Well, you know, we, we, we talked about, you know, Sweden and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think if there's anybody that has no qualms about drafting a goalie, although we did draft him in the first round 19th overall, but that was Vasilevsky when Steve was in Tampa. So, uh, I don't know it might be a little too high depending on where the Red Wings uh, uh, end up in this newfangled draft system that uh, yeah. th- that they're gonna do but uh, boy that's interesting I'm, def- I'm definitely gonna have to watch out for him. Uh, I you know just for local ties I just want to talk about the uh, the three Michigan players Owen Power I know you have him seventh. A lot of services still have him number one, but he's been kind of teetering on that number one plank there for a while. Uh, then uh, Kent Johnson, also uh, uh, Manny Beneers, who is your number one. And then uh, even though he hasn't played at Michigan yet, uh, Luke Hughes, who is committed to Michigan.
1: Yeah, I'll start with Owen Power and, and get that out of the way real quick. And I, I think the first thing I got to say is he's a, an ex, a really good talent. Uh, the the frame, you can't deny, six foot six, over 215 pounds like he's got the straight line speed and, and a lot of the raw tools that you want in a defenseman but there there's some issues with some decision making that he has and his defensive play needs a lot of work. I think there's refinement that's going to be needed there where he he's panicking a little bit. Like the, the thing I keep going back to with him is there's a panic threshold with players and depending on how much pressure they're dealing with in that's how they that, how fast they panic. And with with Owen Power it seems to be like he, he anytime he's up uh, below the goal line uh, on the boards kind of retrieving a four check or anything like that Tip, plays that happen every single day in the nhl i mean usually once a shift it seems there there's some panic level there and he doesn't know what to do all the time but he's a guy that i think if you draft him and you take him and go you know what play another year at michigan we're not putting you in the nhl right away because in, in all honesty i i don't think there's a single player in this draft that's ready to jump into the nhl right away in owen power if he gets drafted first overall there's a real worry that like he could be have his development kind of slowed because of that. Because with Owen Power, there's a spectrum of player you're going to get. I think you're going to get an NHL player no matter what. And I think that's part of the reason a lot of teams have him at number one on their board. Because at six foot six, 215 pounds, a really good skater, straight line guy, like he's got some of that offensive pop and some of the skill. You go, okay, like maybe this kid could develop. But with Like I said, there's a spectrum. You could end up with a, a Dougie Hamilton, a guy that's a really good number two defenseman, uh, arguably a number one, a, a guy that can push pace and control the game and do a lot of things really effectively. Or on the other end of things, you could end up with a Tyler Myers or Erasmus Ristolainen, who are very good NHL players. Like I, I know both of them kind of get a lot of crap from the media and fans, but they're they're serviceable NHL players. They're guys that you, you don't mind having on your team if they're not making too much money, and and they're guys that contribute and they have a role on the team. But the issue is, if you're drafting first overall, you don't necessarily want Tyler Myers at first overall. You'd much rather Dougie Hamilton. And the fact that the spectrum is so wide on, on a guy like Owen Power, I think that's the reason why I have a little bit of tepidation with him. And, and on the flip side, Matthew Bennears, who I do have at number one on my list, there's just so much assuredness with his game. He does everything so smart, so right. And and yes, maybe he doesn't have that, that true upside to be a number one center in the mold of an Austin Matthews, a Connor McDavid, but I think if you pair him with a guy like Dylan Larkin, you have two guys that are maybe 1A, 1B centers. Guys that aren't necessarily surefire number ones that can blow the league out of the, the water, but guys that if you're rolling them two out after one after another every night and then have a guy like Joe Valeno on the third line, you're laughing because you're just having consistent, solid hockey players right down the middle of your lineup all night long. And I think Matthew Benares is ex- going to be a really, really high-end player. Uh, like I said, He's not going to be a number one guy. I don't think he's going to be that Austin Matthews level prospect. I don't think that prospect exists in this draft to be completely honest, but Matthew Baneers is a guy that you can rely on to go in there and kind of take on a role like, like Dylan Larkin has with the Red Wings be that two way responsible center that has some offensive pop. If you get Matthew Baneers and Dylan Larkin, both scoring 65 to 75 points in a season, that kind of mitigates your need for that true high end number one center because you have two really elite number one, a guys. So, I think Beneers is a really intriguing prospect. That's why he's number 1 on my board. Uh, Kent Johnson, th- this guy is I I've referred to him all, all year long as the video game guy. This is the the player that you when you're playing NHL on your PlayStation or on your Xbox, this is the kid you want to play because the skill, the speed, like the skill, the the uh, just deception, the the ability to kind of make any highlight real at any moment is, is really intriguing with him. With that said, he's got a bit of a pace issue. His skating is is fine, but it's not great. And you'd like to see his skating come up a little bit as a as a super skilled guy like that. And he is a little bit older for this draft class. He's a a guy that was born in October two thousand two, whereas a lot of these players are born in two thousand three. So he's a little bit older, similar to Owen Power in that regard. So maybe there's not that necessarily high end upside, but this kid's got a, an exceptional level of skill. Like this this kid's so fun to watch. Uh, he's the most uh, highlight ready player in this draft, I think. Where you anytime you watch a highlight of Kent Johnson, you could easily think he's the first overall pick. But it's the stuff away from the highlights that he needs to work on. I think he's a really good player. And then with Luke Hughes, he's my top defenseman on my board at the moment. He's a really f- fantastic skater. Like the, the way this kid just f- is so fluid on the ice, it's really special. And the, the other thing with him is, He's a September 2003 birthday he's six days away from being eligible for the 2022 NHL draft wow so he's super young for the draft he's in he's the polar opposite of Owen power in that regard where Owen Power is a, a late 2002 he's a uh, a late 2003 so he's almost a year difference from Owen power and when I look at Owen Power and, and Luke Hughes at the same stage of the development Luke Hughes is head and shoulders above him in my opinion uh he's got some size six foot two 180. Um, He's got the the foot injury right now with some ligament damage that he's kind of working on rehabbing and stuff. But the the skill and talent that this kid has, you need to rein him in a bit. He's got a little bit too much of that offensive mindset, but he's got the tools that he can be that skilled defensive defenseman that uses his stick, breaks up play, and turns things up ice. So I think Luke Hughes is going to be a really fun player at the next level. And I think he's a candidate to even go number one because there there really isn't a true number one. Like any player in my top twelve right now, I could see realistically going number one still.
0: And I'll tell you what, one more player that you want to tantalize our our audience <laughs> with, so uh, when we do our our draft specific show here in, in a couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, uh, that uh, that you're really really high on, really excited about.
1: All right, The one the one guy I'm higher on than I think anybody else pretty much on, on most public draft boards is Fabian Lucelle, who's a Swedish winger. Um, And, and I, I compare him a lot to to Lucas Raymond because he's in a situation where he got traded from Forlunda, which is Lucas Raymond's team, to Lulio in the SHL. And he requested that trade. And, and people were kind of confused as to why. And it was because he wasn't getting SHL time with Ferlunda's system. So he went to Lulio and he got SHL time. And for the first little while, he got third line duty and he was getting some points. And he was starting to produce and starting to like look like a really good player. And, and then as the playoffs started to come near and as the season winded down, he started getting relegated to the fourth line. And similar to Lucas Raymond, where he was getting seven, eight minutes a game. And it's hard to produce at seven, eight minutes a game. But the thing with Fabian Lucelle is he's such a good energetic two-way player. This guy's motor never stops. He's going to be one of those guys that are on the ice. And um, I was watching some of the pre-tournament for the U18s this week, and um, they don't have fans at the arena right now. So you can hear some of the scouts if they're by the cameras. And one of the things that I thought was really funny was as Fabian Liesel's skating up the ice with the puck just about to score a goal, you can hear one of the scouts go, holy crap, 11's fast. (laughs) And and, and that's what it is. Like this kid's got a a motor and a pace to his game that is unmatched in this entire draft class. I think if you want a player to kind of put his foot down on the pedal and just go, Fabian Lassell is your guy. He's at number uh, three on my board right now. Um, He's in that top group with with Willie Mecklen and Matthew Beneers as my top three players. And you could convince me on any day to take any of those three guys number one overall, and I wouldn't bat an eye.
0: All right. And uh, uh, Tony, we're going to stop it there. And always leave them uh, begging for more as they say. So uh, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get into the uh, uh, really into the draft uh, next time we have you on. Uh, but uh, why don't you tell people uh, about Dabber hockey and how they can uh, look at your
1: extensive scouting reports. Well, Dauber Prospects, you can go to the website there, or follow me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. But for the most part, all my scouting stuff is right on Twitter. I, I put it out on Dauber Prospects website. Um, you can also follow Dauber's Draftcast, which is my podcast, which is just NHL draft stuff all the time. I got World in, Under 18 previews for both Group A and Group B. Uh, out there right now I'll be having more World Under 18 content coming out as the tournament goes on but yeah definitely follow me on Twitter and in the podcast and those are the two main things where you can get all my draft content
0: well it sounds great uh, Tony Ferrari uh, the managing editor and head of scouting at Dobber Prospects thank you for uh, joining us on this edition of the Red and White Authority we will talk to you very very soon it's always informative it's always fun and truly Tony really appreciate your time thank you
1: yeah no problem anytime Art. always enjoy coming on with you.